talk to you for just a moment about um, a little thing that happened to me a few um, nights ago here in the sanctuary. I was praying, um, praying every night, and just um, st- just getting before the Lord on, on behalf of this church, and on behalf of my family, and uh, thanking Him for what He's doing in our midst, and that it's continuing to move forward and all that. And I've been having incredible encounters with God, very, very unique, very unique to me especially. And um, it, there's something different about his presence when it comes and <clears throat> an encounter that you have. It's like, um, and I'll explain it in more detail some other time, but and just to put it in context, it's like, it's like his presence comes and it's wonderful and his anointing is there and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what we feel probably 99% of the time. And it's awesome when we're in his presence. An encounter is like God just steps into the room. Something changes. It's an atmosphere change. And so I've been really blessed to be experiencing him like that nightly, daily. It's been wonderful. And um, a few nights ago, <clears throat> I was here, and, and I just didn't get to that place where he, he walks into the room and everything changes. And so I've been so spoiled, you know, I've been like, I was kind of complaining, like, Lord, come on, you know, I asked you to come. Your word says, draw nigh to you and you'll draw nigh to me. Come on, God, where are you? And his presence was there. And I just felt like the Lord said, just worship me. So I, I sat in the front row right over here, sat in the front row. And I'm just worshiping the Lord. And then all of a sudden, just like that, I have a vision. And in the vision, I see a river. And it's literally flowing from that side of the sanctuary through the altar. It's almost like that was a bank and this was a bank. And it was, a, it was flowing right, right through the altar uh, around, like, almost like a circle, like it would, like it, like it would circle, circle, but it was heavy at the front of the room, at the front of the altar. And just like that, <clears throat> um, I literally felt a current. I felt the current of the water rush past me. Now, you've got to know me to understand me and those I've been doing this for. I've been, doing this, I've been preaching this church for 19 years, been in ministry for almost 30 years. I don't, I'm not the spooky pooky. That's just not my deal. I want real. I want credible. I want authentic because you don't got to make nothing up with God. You don't have to help him out. I've been, I mean, I'm too mature for that. I saw it. I felt it. And God spoke to me, said, this river, son, at this altar is a river of salvation. It's a river of healing. It's a river of deliverance. And it's a river of restoration. And tonight, I feel so strongly to remind everybody that one of the things that God called us to do as a church, he spoke to us, he said, my wounded warriors have been wounded, and they think that I left them out there to die in the battlefield, and that's just not true. So many of his believers, so many of his, his children uh, think that they've been abandoned by God, and they're just out there flailing around, and, and God's not there to help them. He said, that's not true, son. He said, this house is going to be known as a house of restoration. And when they come, they're going to be restored. Well, we got to get them here. We got to tell our friends, especially the ones that have discredited church. They don't want to go to church no more. You know, they're, they're aggravated with God. They're, they're frustrated with the church. They're hurt, whatever. And we got to get them into this, this ministry. Because one of the things that God spoke to me was that this church is going to have something called presence ministry. 
So in other words, it's not just going to be about the preaching of the word and I get up here and preach. He'll always use that. Always. That'll never change. It's not just about uh, us coming together and laying hands on people and we'll always do that because that's in the book. That's in the B-I-B-L-E and so that's good enough for me. So we're always going to do that. But we're going into a time of the move of God's spirit and revival to where many people won't be able to be touched. But when they come into this place, his presence will minister to them right where they're at. And he spoke to me and said that when they come in this place, they're going to feel it before. Look, look y'all, um, start getting here early because there's going to be a different flow, a unique flow of God 15 to 20 minutes before the service ever starts. And you're going to have opportunity to see people that are hurting, and we might need you to begin to pray for them or just say, hey, my name's such and such. How are you doing today? And lead them into the sinner's prayer. They get born again or come back to Jesus before the service ever starts. And if they need a touch from God, God's presence is going to be so heavy upon them that they'll cry out to God in their seats, maybe not loud, but just in their seat. They're just inside saying, Lord, I need you. And the Holy Ghost is going to come right there before we click it off, before the first song's ever sung, before they ever get the chance to meet me. The Holy Ghost is going to make his introduction to their life. Come on, church. Does this excite anybody? And by the way, that means we don't quit working. we got to keep working, but it at least relieves us of some of that ministry obligation where God just does what he does, and now we can go do what he wants us to do on another level altogether. So out of this whole thing of presence ministry, um, uh, having people prophesy and have dreams about um, the, uh, dreams and visions about um, the river of God coming into this place and flowing and spilling out the back doors and into the street, all that stuff has led me to study somewhat on the glory of God. Now, I haven't done a study on the glory for a very long time, and so I had to refresh myself, but boy, has it changed. In other words, his word hasn't changed, but you know, after 15 to 20 years ago, you change, and so you're looking at things a completely different way than you did 15, 20 years ago. And I believe that the glory of God is coming to planet Earth in an unprecedented way, and God's ultimate plan is for you and I to be carriers of his glory in these last days, to a lost world who needs Jesus. And I'm saying that by the Spirit of God because, you know, we've had enough talking heads on television, and America hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse. The world hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse. Thank God for their ministries. Thank God, because they do pull in things, and, and things do, do happen, but it's certainly not enough. Uh, it's not going to happen because I'm really eloquent of a speaker. That ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen because we have the great programs that we do, or, or even the productions that we perform. And these things are necessary. Necessary. They're tools in God's uh, tool belt. But I'm wondering, Lord, is this all? Because if this is all we got, we're going to see maybe a fraction of people come to you and the rest of the world is going to go to hell. And that's not God's design. That's not God's desire. And he didn't lead his son to the cross for a few people. Come on, somebody. We're here to populate heaven. I said we're here to populate heaven. And we're going to do that by what I believe God is doing this last hour, something that's called presence ministry, that we carry his glory in such a way that something about us is different. And when we speak, there's a weight to what we say. There's a weight to our words. So since the word of God says that no man can share his glory, well, then what are we talking about tonight? Well, let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known? This is what Isaiah prophesied. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And this is what we ought to be praying. 
In other words, not praying those words, but praying the direct opposite. Lord, let me know. Lord, let me hear. Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I don't want to walk out there blind no more. I don't want to walk out there deaf and not know what you're actually, what are your intentions, God? I told you the secret place is the place where God shares his secrets. Amen. That's the place of prayer. Why are we praying more then? God's got to stir his people. If my people. You see, the, the world is not getting better. It's getting worse. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And what most of the people of God are up in church playing church. Looking at each other's watch. Ooh, that's a nice watch. That's a nice outfit. Who cares? And the world's going to hell. Are you hearing me tonight? He said, but I'll turn it all around if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their lamb. Have you not known? Have you not heard God? We want to know. God, we want to hear. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. God don't get, that ain't good vernacular, but God don't get tired easily. Come on, somebody. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. In other words, there's a supernatural impartation for those who are down, those who are discouraged, those that feel weak, those that have no strength. He'll actually give us, he'll give us, the Bible says, power, and he'll increase our strength. That is a supernatural impartation. We need an impartation of the Holy Ghost. More than I'm looking for miracles. I love what God just did here tonight. It was so natural, it almost didn't look supernatural. Because God, that's how God operates. He just, everyday people need an everyday miracle, and God will give it to those who believe just like that. Jesus walked one day by, by somebody, and, 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 and he said, saw the man was blind. He said, what do you want? My sight. And he spit on the ground. Spit on the ground. Picked it up with his fingers, made a little mud pie, and stuck it on the man's eye. You'd have thought he was crazy. Took that natural situation. Took some natural dirt, some natural spit, made a little pie out of it. Come on, somebody. Put, put it on his eyes, and the man was healed. That can happen. Not, don't, don't run out and put no spit in nobody, don't spit nobody's eye. You, you, you need a miracle. Don't be spitting on him. Praise God. That was, that was a one-time occurrence to let you know God heals multiple different ways. I said God can heal any way he wants. Amen, somebody. And so, and so impartation to me is more necessary because manifestation, after that comes, you're going to need another manifestation. But impartation changes you for a lifetime. And it strengthens you. It strengthens you when you're weak. That's what Jesus needed when he knew he was facing the cross. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was so weak. And he turned to his disciples and they wouldn't pray with him. They, they fell asleep. And the Bible said, God sent an angel to him. What? To strengthen him. To impart in him. And when he was imparted into, he had the strength to endure the cross. Even the youths, Isaiah said, uh, shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utter, utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord. 
Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. Those who spend time in his presence. Those, come on, that put aside their own personal time and say, I'm going to spend time with you. Those that say, I'm not going to movies this weekend. I need a touch from you. Those that say, I'm not going to go to the bar no more. I need you hallelujah it's a preaching church tonight there's several words and meanings to to the word wait in the word of God I want to explore those with you tonight the first word for wait means to wait patiently but expectantly to wait patiently but expectantly Moses in Exodus chapter 24 is a good example of this patiently waiting with expectation it is where, in fact, that uh, many don't know this, but that, that Joshua was invited by Moses to go up into the mountain of God, to meet with God, and God allowed it. I might talk about that in just a moment, but for now. And so they go into the mountain. What people might, you might remember that part. They're going to meet with God, and God would come. And how God came was, he came in a cloud. God hid himself in a cloud. In that cloud was his glory. It wasn't just that wispy thing in the sky that you see. It was his glory that appeared to be something like that, but it was much more than that. And so Moses said, Joshua, come on up with me, and you're going to see what God's really all about. So Joshua was glad to go up there. And the Bible says, you might not know this. The Bible says, they waited for six days, y'all. Six days before they were allowed. They could see the cloud. They were close to the cloud, to the glory. But they weren't allowed to go in until God said, come on in. And so for six days, they had to wait. How long are we willing to wait? Even though we see it so close. Or do we get so discouraged so easily that we back out and say, nah, that's it. you know, I waited long enough, God. I mean, you did it for everybody else, but this is the way you treat me. Come on. Are we willing to go the distance with God? Because those who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. And so <laughs> they're close, but on the sixth day, God says, Moses, come in. Joshua, uh-uh. Moses, you can come in. So he waits Patiently, but expectantly. And then he's allowed in. It was there that God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments, the greatest thing that God ever gave his people, the nation of Israel. And it's still, those commandments are still alive to this day. And, and Joshua, all he could do was look at the cloud. Now, the cloud was fearsome, was powerful, so powerful and fearful that the people of God said, Moses, you go and meet with God. Because God tried to be the king of the nation. But they were afraid of him because every time he talked, everything began to quake. And it came out of that glory cloud. So it was, it was a fearsome thing. It was, it was powerful. It, it, it had lightning going on on the inside of it, you know. It, it had thunder going off. You could hear it. It was exciting, but it was terrifying all at the same time. And, and, and we find that Joshua was willing to wait his turn. He was willing to wait it out. 
patiently but expectantly for his turn to move into the cloud. Why? Because he had been infected with a virus called presence-itis. Because if you ever just get a little bit of his presence, come on, you're hooked on it forever. You got to get another time and another time and another time. And you just ain't satisfied till you get it again and again and again and again. There was an impartation that he had received with God in his relationship that he could not shake. So much so that he put himself in jeopardy and he said, I know I don't have Moses with me, but I got to go up into the mountain once again. Do you remember the story? And he put his life on the line because the Bible says no man comes in this mountain except for Moses. I don't care if it's a beast. I don't care if it's a little fly. Everything dies unless it's Moses. But Joshua he must have said something like this, I don't care if I die. If I die, I must find out what this is all about. I got to have more of your presence in my life. I got to feel that glory on me. And he went into the mountain alone, and he came back, a changed man, and he did not die. Impartation. Everybody say impartation. Impartation is my definition now. Impartation is the internal effect that something has on someone that will not go away. It's something that happens in here that affects you so deliberately and so powerfully that it just won't go away. It's a conviction that that, that which has been imparted to you is real, it's connected to you, and it's valuable, and you can't let it go, and you protect it with your life. As I'm saying this, I hear people feeling bad saying, well, I've never experienced that. But at the same time, you're going, but I'm hungry to find out more about it. Because guess what? I remember a preacher preaching one time, and I didn't have that experience yet either. But I decided I'm going to find out. I had to be that Joshua. I had to go in and find out for myself, is it real? Are you that powerful? Can you do that much? I'm here to tell you he can and he will, and he wants to show you. And it may not knock you down at first. Because you know what I'm telling you something God's saying to me? He's saying that I'm conditioning, Jeff, I'm conditioning this church with my presence so that they might receive my glory. So it's a process. You're not going to get it all at one time. Come on, somebody. But you never know. It might just drop on you one time and then bang, everything changes. Amen. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, had so much glory on him. That when he walked to these men, grown men with businesses, thriving, with family members to take care of, thriving business, said, come follow me. That's all he said. And they left everything, sold their businesses, and followed Jesus. Why? Because Jesus affected them inside so much that what they had knew it was valuable. They knew what they were connected to it. They knew it was for them. And they knew it had purpose. They knew it had destiny. And they couldn't shake free of it. Boy, that will give you a confidence when you walk to work in the morning. When you go to work in the morning. That will give you confidence wherever you're at knowing that you've been with God. And it don't matter what it looks like. Some might not shine today. It don't matter because I know my God is with me wherever I go. It will give you a new revelation of my God will never leave me nor forsake me. You'll know that you know that you know that you know that you know that he won't. Come on, somebody. Jesus had that kind of anointing. And Joshua learned to wait with great expectation. He got so close to God that he was able to see his glory without dying. 
And he was chosen at that point to lead God's people into the promised land because he waited patiently but expectedly for his turn. And when his turn came, he was fully accredited by God to be the leader, the next leader beyond Moses to bring God's people into the promised land. Number two, the second meaning of the word wait is trust. Everybody say trust. And that kind of trust means a confident trust, a confident trust. You may not know what he's doing. You may not know what, what or when it's going to happen. But you simply trust him that he's working everything out for you. It may not look like a swing in your direction, but you know that you know somehow there's this confident trust as I wait on God because I've been in his presence. I just know he's working it out. Even when my own mind wants to discredit what God is doing, I say, hold on now, mind. I know what he showed me in prayer. I know where I've been. He's already showed me. And I will not let it go. How important is prayer? Your very life will depend upon it. Jesus, this kind of confident trust had to be found in his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead. And 40 days later, he was with his disciples and he told them what their mission was going to be. And then he ascended to heaven. But before he ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, by the way, all 500 of them watched this happening. All 500 watched him ascend into the heavens. He said to all the 500, He said, my spirit, the Holy Spirit is coming. And he will endure you with power. Wait. Everybody say wait. Wait for him in Jerusalem until he comes. How many people saw him go up? 500. How many people were in the upper room? 120. Whoa. Do the math. That's a whole lot of people that didn't make their way to Jerusalem because they didn't have the patience, nor did they have the confident expectation, nor did they have the trust that what Jesus said was going to happen. I don't know where they went, but the Bible records 120 people were found in the upper room. I want to be among that number. Saul is a, 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 an example to us, not, not a, a positive one, but a negative one. Uh, he was unable to wait. Remember, remember, God said, you know, you have to wait for Samuel after the, 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 uh, you pull, pull on all the, the spoils of war. He said, when you pull him in, he said, Samuel will come, and when he arrives, he will sacrifice unto me for the nation of Israel. Well, Saul couldn't wait because the people put pressure on him. He was a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser. We don't need leaders who are people pleasers. We need leaders who are God pleasers, even if they don't understand it. And so, uh, he didn't wait, and he sacrificed. When Samuel came, he said, what is the bleeding of, of sheep that I hear? What's going on? Well, we sacrificed. He said, that's my job. What were you thinking? You have directly disobeyed God, and because you've disobeyed God, the kingdom will be stripped from you and given to another. Let me make this statement. God's not looking for a leader who's presumptuous who's impetuous. He's looking for a leader who will simply trust him, who will be obedient to him. Where are all the real preachers at? Preachers that will speak the word of God and let the truth lie where it will. Preachers that will be concerned, more concerned with their anointing, with the anointing of God than their personal image. Preachers that spend more time in their Bibles than they do on their hair. Come on, somebody talk to me. Or their, or their brands. 
preachers that are more concerned, consumed rather, with what God has to say than the latest trends and fads. Preachers who are more interested in building the kingdom of God than they are their own personal kingdoms. Where are the Elijahs at? Who just speak to her, thus says the Lord, and let the chips fall where they may. Simply obedient to God. God doesn't need your gifts first. He needs your obedience first. Come on, somebody. And in your obedience, you will find your anointing to remove burdens and destroy yokes of bondages. I told you this before. My gifting is not a public speaker. That's not my gifting. You say, well, that's what you do all the time. Not my gifting. In other words, it's not something I was born naturally to do. Most people are petrified to talk in front of people, right? You're not looking at my gifting. You're looking at my anointing. And because I was obedient to put a microphone in my hand and stare at people that I didn't know if they were going to receive me or not or hate my guts or whatever, but I decided to obey God anyways, he anointed me to do this. Now I don't worry about y'all. Come on, somebody. Ain't even pay attention to your little grimacing looks, praise God, or your folding of your arms or when you get up to leave. None of that. Why? Because I know it's an anointing. So when God gives you something, typically it's not just your gifting that's an operation. Sometimes it's not your gifting at all that's an operation. It's your obedience. It's your heart after God. And he anoints it and blesses it. The woman with the alabaster box, she took very costly spiked dirt, uh, oil. Very, it, was worth, it was worth one year's salary. And she took it and she broke it over the feet of Jesus. She broke it and then spilt it on the feet of Jesus. And all the oil ran everywhere. All she needed was a couple teaspoons. But she broke it all. She gave her heart. She put her passion into it. And God, it, that Bible says that, that that woman anointed Jesus, anointed him for his burial. Mary and Martha, we talk a lot of stuff about Martha and Mary, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, the working side or the praying side. But Jesus was very specific. He said, Martha, you do a lot of good things. You worry about a lot of stuff. But let me just tell you, and I'm so thankful for what you've done here today, but your sister Mary has chosen that better part she was at the feet of Jesus. You know, sometimes we get so busy that we're not including God in what we're doing at all. We, it's okay to be Martha, but just remember, sometimes you've got to be married too. You've got to get before God. Now, sometimes every day you get before him so you have that intimacy with him. When God knows that he's first place in your life, he can then trust you to move you to the next level of authority in your life. Remember when David went to war to uh, uh, to, to basically to get back the Ark of the Covenant, he went to war with the Philistines to go get it. And it was in the temple of, of Dathan, and, and man, Dathan was on a bad day. The idol fell over, and then they put it back up again, and the head fell off, and then the arms fell off. I mean, God wasn't having no part of nobody else's temple. He didn't share that with nobody else. And David went and recaptured the Ark, but he couldn't bring it to prepare Israel for it. He couldn't bring it back right away, so he parks the Ark in Obed-Edom's home, the Bible says. And it was there for about three months or so. And the Bible says that everything in Obed Eden's house was so blessed. Everybody got blessed. Everybody got touched by the presence of God. His money just exploded. His everything, his relationship, everything went wonderful. Everything was truly blessed of God. And then David goes and picks up the Ark of the Covenant and brings it 
uh, back. He wants to bring it back into Jerusalem. So what does David do? In his lightning fast mind, he goes, you know what? It's a 20-mile journey. So what we need to do is such a long ways. What we need to do is we need to build a cart and get some oxen, and they'll pull that thing because 20, because the, the rules were, God said, the rules are only a priest could carry the Ark of the Covenant, and it had to be on their backs with a pole. They had to walk like pallbearers, but on their shoulders, on their backs. And he said, that's 20 miles. That's a long way. Being obedient to God, come on, somebody, doesn't mean it's going to be easy or convenient. But whatever he says, if it takes you 35 days or 100 days to get there, you got to do it God's way. you got to be willing to wait patiently with expectancy. Come on, somebody. Because when they put it on the ark, that the Bible says the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put his hand to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall, and Uzzah died. And they said, oh, boy, we better get the priest back here. He had to learn the hard way. I, I don't want to learn the hard way. I want to spend time with him the correct way, the cost, there's a cost of obedience for the presence of God to return to our lives. Just like it was a cost of obedience for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God to return to the nation of Israel. And Odom Edom said, hey guys, I'm selling my house. I'm going with you guys. What do you mean you're going with us? Got family to take care. Nope, me and my whole family, we're moving in, we're moving in town in Jerusalem. Well, why? Why? Because he said this, wherever that thing goes, me and my family's going. Presence-itis, presence-itis, once you got touch with that presence, you can't help yourself. You want to get closer and closer and closer. That was the mercy. That's where God spent. That's where God dwelt with his people at, between the cherubims on top of the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, make him a doorkeeper. He ain't going nowhere. The man was ruined forever in the best way possible. Number three, wait means to wait longingly with deep, Longing for him. One thing I've learned about waiting on God is that he, he becomes everything I want while I wait. If the longer I wait for him, the more my desires go away and his desires become mine. Church, is so important that we worship him because when we worship him, we're abiding in him. He inhabits the praises of his people. That brings his presence. Let me say this. Worship isn't something we do in order to get ready for the really important next thing, which is, the, the I've, I've said this before. I, I knew what I was talking about, but so I'm not totally saying I did wrong, but I said we got to get the worship in because it's, it's, it's a precursor to the word of God. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But we almost treat worship like it's the thing we need to get out of the way to get to what we really need. Why? You know why people don't worship God the way they should? Two reasons. They're uncomfortable with being intimate with God because they don't spend time with him alone. So when they come into a corporate study, they feel uncomfortable. And number two, worship is something you give to God. The word is something you receive from God. And most people like to receive and don't like to give. Can I tell the truth and shame the devil? Now, I don't, I don't turn around. I ain't seen who's not here on time. Tonight, we had a good show of people that came up early. And I'm going to tell you, get earlier. But if I were you, I wouldn't miss those pre-service soaking moments, man. God's going to hit you and nail you in the pre-service. And you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to have a great time. But let me just tell you something, guys. Don't be late to the house of God when it comes to praise and worship. You need it. We all need it. Somebody say amen. So he's, he's not the, God's not the warm-up act. 
you know, before we get to where we really need to go, and that's to get the word of God. Number four, wait is the word kaval in the Hebrew, and it means to wait until you see the braiding together of things, to take three or more strands and you make them one. So when he says wait, he's saying, I want to bring, while you wait, I want to bring strength and durability to you. While you wait, it brings unity. It's where his thoughts are your thoughts. His love is your love. His desire becomes your desire. His passion, your passion. His opinion becomes your opinion. I've been praying in moments with the Lord, and I'll, I'll begin to recognize that my thoughts aren't even mine anymore. I'm, I'm thinking thoughts. I go, hey, that's not really, what am I doing here? And I recognize that's God thinking through my thoughts. The Bible says I can have the mind of Christ. I'm going to say amen. Number five, and finally, it's not wait, W-A-I-T, I want to talk about for just this next two minutes. It's wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, wait, wait. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which means heavy or weighty. This meaning does not mean to praise someone. In its context, it's dealing with authority. It means that the one in charge carries the weight. So we give glory to the one who's in charge because he carries the weight. So when God crowned Adam with glory, he didn't want Adam to be worshipped. He wanted Adam to carry his weight. The Bible says that all dominion and authority was given to Adam. So he carried God's weight on the earth. Psalms 8, 3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. Church, there's coming a day that you will carry such a weight of God's glory. That when you're at Pick and Save, or Metro Market, or Sendix, or Aldi's, come on somebody, or Target, or Walmart, wherever you shop, and you walk in there, and you walk in there, and you brush up against somebody, and they're going, what did you just, what did you just do to me? What was that? I can handle that. Come on somebody. Go to shake someone's hand. They go, my God. And they start crying. I don't know why. Why am I crying? The presence of God and his glory is so over your life that everywhere you go, everything begins, the whole atmosphere begins to change. Jesus was so filled with the glory of God that when he walked the streets that day, and a woman who needed a touch reached up and just touched the hem of his garment, didn't even touch his person, just his coat, and he touched her. The Bible said he turned around and said, who touched me? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. No, somebody really touched me. What do you mean? Virtue, power, the glory has left me. And the woman frightened, looks at him and said, it was me, it was me, I needed a touch. And she got healed by God. Come on. In that very moment, can you somebody say amen to this? 
Revivals and outpourings. You see this time and time again. Charles Finney, a great revivalist, was, was, it, was uh, coming into a city to do a big revival campaign. And they, they invited him to go to one of their factories. And so he's looking around the factory. As he's going through the factory, he's walking by. People begin to weep and, and cry. And as he goes to the next room, people begin to fall on their hands and knees. And, and they begin to repent. They say, Jesus. And they begin to have visions and revelations that they're going to hell. And it was just his anointing and the glory glory that went with him wherever he went. That's what we need to change America. That's what we need to change the world. Can't happen. Sorry. Not going to happen for a complacent, lethargic, self-centered church. Me, me, me. What I want. What about what he wants? You become a carrier of the glory of God. I'm, I'm wrapping up. In Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and that the spirit of God was hovering or brooding over the face of the water. I hope you can handle what I'm about to say. I hope you can handle this. Was moving, hovering over the face of the water. The glory hovers and broods. Hovering is the Hebrew word rakaf. It means to brood or to hover. It means to envelop. It means to release light and to release energy. Now, it's also used as a birthing term or more in line with sexual intercourse for the purpose of pregnancy. Like a man brooding over his bride to enter into intimacy to have a child with her. Sorry, y'all, but God made that for a purpose. The word of God is likened unto the seed of God, and when he spoke his word all into this existence, creation came up out of it like somebody giving birth. So his word, come on, his spirit was there hovering, come on, like a woman being, like a man being prepared to be with his bride to receive the seed of God, and when God spoke, the seed was released and all of creation came into being. Amen, somebody. I don't have time to get to the rest of it. I want to. This kind of anointing isn't for everybody because not everybody's willing to walk through the first levels of waiting. They're so impatient, they can't get through level number one. And yet we want the glory of God. We've got to be willing to patiently be in his presence, be conditioned for what he wants, know that he's working things out. That same glory, that hovering, uh, word kabat means this, rikoth, uh, uh, means this. You find it in the New Testament when Mary received a word from God and the spirit of God overshadowed her, hovered over her. And he said, you will be a child. His name will be called Emmanuel. And he will be the savior of his people. And she said, let it be to me as you have said. She received the seed of God and she became pregnant with Jesus Christ. It was also used in the same part where the Bible talks about Peter, y'all. And Peter walked, the Bible says. And it got so much in the glory of God that the Bible says his shadow would heal the people. I looked that up. It's the same word, Rakov. It means to hover. It means that the spirit of God was hovering over Peter. Not a shadow like I'm casting right here on the carpet behind me. Not a shadow like that. 
Shadow is the word brooding or hovering. In other words, the Spirit of God was so on Peter, the glory of God was so on Peter, that when you came into his presence, people were being touched and healed and delivered and set free. He didn't have to lay hands upon nobody. Just the power of God would nail them. Just through proximity. Come on, church. I want more of that. The New Testament word for glory means to recognize something for what it really is. When God says he sent his glory to you or to the body, he's really saying, I want to be recognized by you, and I want to be recognized through you. It's not about what you can receive from him. It's all about our desire to recognize him and to acknowledge him. Miracles are wonderful, but they can never replace our spending time with the Almighty.